Welcome to the latest instalment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. I'm joined by a panel of very experienced tech leaders to discuss an intriguing topic, finding certainties in an ever uncertain business environment. But before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. So we'll start with Charles. Hello. Uh, yeah, my name is Charles Burleson. I work as a product manager for Intercom at a place called Invisio. Um, we make military and law enforcement hearing protection and communication systems. Um, so I say the intercom is our latest addition and it's a role I've just been skipping into. Um, so I'm really looking forward to kick some ass in that environment. <laughs> um, but I've been working here for around three years and I'm originally from DTU um, and studied something called process and innovation. Um, I live in uh, Copenhagen together with my wife and my daughter. Um, so yeah, very short. <laughs> Thank you for that, Charles. And moving on to Anders. Yes, my name is Anders Iltrup. I work at the uh, the Lego Group, where I've been working for the past uh, five years. I work in our partner domain, so working with our retail partners. So that could be Walmart, Tesco, Amazon, etc. So in the B two B environment, uh, been a product manager for the last uh, three years. Uh, started out as an associate product manager, then uh, moved up to a product manager as well. And prior to that, I was in various support role and consultancy uh, roles, also within the technology landscape and and focusing on the commercial, with a commercial view um, on the on the business. I live in Weile, uh, together with my wife and our dog. Um, and in the spare time, I you know, love to be active. Running uh, is one of my passions, uh, half marathons and other kinds of races, stuff like that. But otherwise, you know, taking up your PlayStation once in a while on the couch is probably one of my favorite activities as well. So that or running, you will find me in the couch or in the uh, in the shoes. Great stuff. Thank you for that. And moving on to Haldir. Yo, hi, uh, I'm Halger Nagata. I've been with the Linkfire for a solid number of years now. We uh, we create tools that the world's biggest record labels use every day for powering and measuring their digital marketing campaigns. And uh, more recently, we're uh, leveraging that experience and position to power an expanding network of partners in our mission to empower entertainment discovery everywhere. Much like uh, Anas, I think I've uh, I've had my hands in a little bit of everything, um, customer success, partnerships, uh, but mostly and currently I do product. Thank you for that. And last but not least, if we could get an introduction from Matthias. Hi, grateful for the opportunity to be here today, Gunnar. My name is Matthias Jelenhoff. I come from a background in management engineering from Albor University, and I now work as a product manager graduate at KMD, which is one of Denmark's largest IT companies, where we provide various services for business to business and business to government customers. Personally, I work in customer communication management with a range of services, which we tailor to each customer's specific need and requirement for handling various data sources or documents, for example. In my spare time, I enjoy outside activities and especially playing golf, which I have been doing for approximately 17 years. Privately, I'm together with my girlfriend, Charlotte, and live just outside of central Copenhagen. Perfect. Thank you for the introductions, everybody. So now we'll delve deeper into the topic at hand. Today, we've got quite a metaphorical topic in how do you find certainties in an ever uncertain business environment? So I think it's quite important that we lay a little bit of foundation to give some context. So the first question that's posed to the group is, how do you define or understand uncertainty? And we'll go back to Matthias to kick this one off. Yes, thank you. 
So I thought this was a really important question to really start the uh, podcast out with because I see people answering the, this uh, question very differently uh, when I talk with people about uncertainty. Uh, and I think it's quite interesting to hear people's take on it um, because I definitely think it depends on the position that you are um, working in and uh, the products that your organization manage. So I can give my take on it, but I would really like to to hear your uh, definition and uh, and your take on uh, uncertainty uh, before we kick off. Sure, um, I, I I'll happily start and say, I think um, I think in general uncertainty is it's a a tough one to define because usually it's it's rather known at some point, um, you know, some level of your uncertainty, else you don't know the actual uncertainty, right? Um, so just knowing it, it, it's half of the way there, um, if you ask me. Um, and then it, I think it's just in general, whether it's an uncertainty or not, it's, it, it's always in this world where there's no black or white to it, but it's a, a palette, right? You have to have a level of trust before it becomes an, from moves from uncertainty to a certainty. So there's, of course, the scientific approach to whether it's correct or incorrect. Um, but I, I guess that, at least from, from my work, we work with many different realities and truths, not necessarily just one truth. Um, so a lot about the trust that you have built up to whether it's an uncertainty or becomes a certain thing, at least. Thank you. Yeah, and I think if I have to echo a bit what you said, Trud, I think uh, uncertainty is a bit of a volatile word. It, it depends on what context you put into the word itself. So if I look at it from a uh, personal type, you can be uncertainty of how you behave in a certain manner. It could be driving a car. I'm not certain what to do in this situation here. But often when we look at this, I look at it from my product perspective. For me, uncertainty is something that you're not, not you're not aware of until it actually happens, or that you have a hundred percent understanding that this is going to act in a certain way that you believe is going to be true. So also within my product, we work a lot with assumptions, um, where we also classify an assumption as being something that, well, it's an assumption until it actually has been executed. Because if we, something that we've learned for the past two years during the, the COVID pandemic is that nothing is certain. Anything can change. You are never certain about anything until it has actually happened. So I can speak from my part as being part of the Leo group. You know, we were certain that we're going to have Black Friday in our physical retail stores. We didn't. But everybody was saying that's 100% true. We're definitely going to have that certainty that we're going to have Black Friday in our physical retail stores in, uh, in 2020. Guess what? It didn't happen. So again, for me, uncertainty is something that if everything is uncertain until it's actually been executed or we have some kind of proof that we know for sure that this is going to be executed in a certain manner. But then again, you can also take it into a personal context. So for example, driving a car, you could be uncertain on how to behave. And you can stay that even after the execution happened because you can still be uncertain. Did I actually do it correct? Did I actually do it? You know, you you probably have that feeling as well when you're driving on a highway and you're all of a sudden just looking at some, some of the signs. You're like, Jesus, did I just drive 12 kilometers? Because you were sitting in your mind somewhere else thinking of something and the car just took you, you just took yourself, you know. So you were uncertain. How did I get to this point in time? Just say, put it on the edge um, of what uncertainty can also mean. So uncertainty is not just at the point of execution because it can also happen afterwards. It's, for me, it's about the perception of the of the persona that is looking at a problem or a fact or something like that. But for me, if I were to like really dumb it down, 
uncertainty is something that is um, that you don't know about until it has been executed. You can have assumptions, you can have beliefs, but everything's uncertain until the point of execution and where you actually see it unfolds or not. So I mean, for, for the context of this particular podcast, I understood um, uncertainty as as explicitly referring to the uh, the ongoing market shifts uh, with, with layoffs, layoffs left and right at tech companies of all sizes. Talks of a coming recession, um, the geopolitical uh, situation, not least. Um, if we do zoom out and and then try to apply it to our to our day jobs uh, more normally, um, I think it's it's useful to try and phrase it in a way that that we can that we can use that we can make actionable. Um, in which case, I think it's you know it, it's 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 any it's any components of the uh, of of the typical product risks that have not been validated yet, or where we might even admit to ourselves that some of it uh, cannot be validated un uh, uh, until it's executed, as Anna says. I, I realize that technically, you know, everything that we don't know is a is an uncertainty, uh, but I think it's more useful to try and boil it down to, uh, to a term that we can actually actively use in our day-to-day -day jobs. So trying to tie that specifically back to the, um, to the risks that we uh, that we try to navigate and mitigate. And I agree yeah, to what you're saying there, Helgi, as well, that for me, uncertainty is also a spectrum. So you can have certainties. Again, it's uncertain, for example, taking the product context, do our users, do our customers, do they want this new features? Or is that problem that they're actually raising to us? Is that actually a problem? We can be uncertain about something and we can start to dig dive into um, the assumptions, customer interviews, reviews, etc., to try to dig out what is the problem? What is the user value here from the user? Now, one part of the time we have to accept that we are as certain as we can be, bearing in mind that there are uncertainties still left in that topic of question. So from a product standpoint, I think it's very hard to be 100% certain of something. There's also going to be um, uncertainty in the business environment, in the product environment. Um, and as a product, you just have to, I'm saying just, but you you have to be adaptive to to that environment that you're placing in. Whether it's going to be a business environment, it's going to be a customer environment, it's going to be in, you know, UI, UX environment. You know, you could change as a bigger corporation. Sometimes you have bigger uh, design themes that you want to change, design languages, and all of a sudden that impacts your product where you were certain a certain direction. All of a sudden that creates uncertainty on you as well. But that's where what I love about products is that they're dynamic. Just like the question or the topic, uncertainty is also dynamic. Yeah, so I think it's it's uh, useful, of course, um, to keep in mind that we always make assumptions, and when, whenever we're looking to do something new, of course, that comes with it um, uh, many many assumptions. And a core part of our job is, of course, to challenge those assumptions and figure out ways to validate them, to either prove them or disprove them. Um, and I think that it's it's very helpful to. Um, come to terms with sort of yourself um, uh, about what degree of uncertainty you're comfortable with. Now, when we make an assumption, if we go out and test that, whether that be uh, with the user interviews or surveys, uh, like you mentioned, you know, we 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 mitigate some of that uncertainty. We we bring it down. We reduce the likelihood um, that things will come to pass in a different way than we expected them to or wanted them to. And you're right. No matter how much we validate there will always be some level of uncertainty. So yeah, I, I, I think it's very useful to frame that as 
what are the likelihoods of things working out or not the way we expect them to and what's our threshold for for being comfortable um are we 95 percent sure of this that's probably good enough for almost all things we do is it something where it's a uh, an existential threat if we get it wrong well we should probably keep validating until we get closer to that 100 percent we're also about to say that I think the most important thing in in general in product management line of work is to 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 not bring a sledgehammer to a a, a small let's say nail, <laughs> but um, uh, making sure that we use the adequate amount of research and understanding to make sure that we have let's say remove some of the uncertainties of doing so and so. Um, but that's where it becomes really difficult to say sometimes in product management <laughs> because. Sometimes people are used, the ones that actually have to agree with what you're saying and approve it needs to adjust for each individual thing that we're trying to put across or put our sales on and blow away, right, um, on each product development case. Um, and that's a good point about the sledgehammer. Um, I mean, it, it doesn't take much validation at all to become 50% certain of something. It takes much more validation to become 80% certain of something. It takes even more validation to become 95% certain of something. And, you know, multiples of that to, be, to become 99% certain. There is uh, a lot of uh, diminishing returns in that. And yeah, it's, it's, it, I think it's quite important to, to sort of r remind yourself how certain you need to be of something before proceeding. And then, as you say, not bringing that sledgehammer. I also think uncertainty is actually part of the identity of a product as well. Uh, so with products, we often want to build something that is innovating the use case of the users to simplify their life, to bring as much user value as possible, given whatever context we're in. And here we constantly talk about MVP, so the minimum viable product. What is that and you know what classifies an MVP? I can definitely tell you from a bigger corporation side, the terms MVP sometimes like, oh, now we release an MVP. All right, you're going to stick to it no matter what. But that is where for me uncertainty comes in and play a rhythm within the product because it's about testing out theories, hypothesis that we do not know before we actually test it out. And sometimes you just have to deploy features because you're saying, well, we try to do our user interviews, surveys, whatever, but we're getting inclusive results. A-B testing didn't really work or something else. They're saying, actually, let's just go out there and try to see how this impacts our users going back to that sledgehammer. This is not something crucial, big, you know, so if we have to put it back, it's okay. But it's about going out there, do the minimum that you can do to learn the most. For me, that is the essential of, of being, you know, a sustainable product that keeps on living and is con constantly relevant for, for tomorrow as well. So for me, uncertainty is almost also the identity of a product that you have to be adaptive to it. Yes, yeah, certainly. And I know this was a question you posted to the group, Matthias. So what's your yeah. take on it? Um, I agree with most of you or all of you. It's it's really great points and um, yeah, it's you, you echo my own opinion like i feel like the the uncertainty to me is like the the gap of information that you're missing and the gap of knowledge that you need to 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 possess or to to overcome this challenge that you have um but i also think that as you've kind of mentioned that there's different levels of uncertainty that you need to be aware of so you don't bring a sledgehammer for example to a small uncertainty problem um, and that you don't bring like a, a small pocket knife to a big uncertainty problem. So there's different levels of uncertainty that you also need to be aware of uh, when faced with some level of uncertainty, because I think we can all agree that um, there is uh, 
there's there's a difference in the uncertainty that you face when you can look up a problem easily on the internet and then you get the knowledge and then there's a different level of uncertainty when your entire supply chain crashes without any heads up it's so i think you really need to to be aware of the level of uncertainty that you're facing and and also um seeing as we are product managers for different types of products i think it's also important to be aware of the uh, know the different products that are in the market because anas may have a different perspective on um, uncertainty for his business to consumer product than i have on my business to government or business to um, business uh, product because my life cycle is a lot longer uh, than uh, than Anas's might be. Yeah, and the customers a lot fewer. <laughs> yeah, and the customers <laughs> are a lot fewer. Yeah, it's it's they're big customers, but they're a lot fewer. Yeah. Right. yeah it's uh, I would say it's definitely something that you're safe for in B two C. You can you can say use your customers a little bit more than you can mm. in B two B or B two G. Then we also go into definitely what I would say the. Uh, um, then we also can go into a marketing topic in terms of addressing that uncertainty. And then going back to that spectrum that I talked about, what what kind of level of uncertainty we're dealing with here, going back to also your tools, your sledgehammer. Uh-huh. If you have big margin companies, very few, if, if it's just a handful of your, your consumers drop, dropping out, you will start to see that impact on your, your, your profits, uh, especially if the high margin product that is being pulled out of the shelves. So again, that's a typical, uh, typical example now, given that we have the high inflations, especially in, in, in Europe and also, of course, in, in the US. But that is just impacting also, of course, high margin products. Uh, that, of course, also means that just, a, just a, you know, a small piece of that can impact a uh, company's uh, revenue quite significantly as well. So because those high profit also sometimes, I'm not saying it's it's equal to it, but also sometimes it's the highest price point. Of course, that thereby is being, you know, uh, reduced or bought in the same extent due to the price inflation. So you'd rather pay for your gas bill than you want to pay for a, a high price point uh, product that is there for, you know, uh, pleasure or fun. Uh, so in that case, you have also have uncertainties, I would say, on the spectrum. Sometimes if we're in a good environment, so especially when we found out that COVID was good for businesses, at least a lot of businesses, um, there the uncertainty started to go back to saying, are we going to survive this? Yes, probably we are. All right, let's keep on moving. We don't know this, but let's just keep on rolling with even though we don't know it because we are not going to die from it or it's just going to be a small bump on the road in the worst case. I think it makes great sense. Um, hmm. they- our context is making physical products to people where their life may depend on them. So on the product level, our level of uncertainty needs to be really low <laughs> from our <laughs> point of view. Um, and we need to make sure that it fits. So as I said, there is many ways of making sure where your uncertainty level is at a product or general knowledge of where the world is turning. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad we've established a little bit of context in terms of what exactly we're meaning by uncertainty. I think it's nice that we've covered all bases there as well. I mean, I know at the start, and as you mentioned, when you look in hindsight and you look back at the COVID pandemic, how what seemed to be, you know, such an uncertainty has imp- implicated the certainties that you did once, you did once perceive. And then looking forward, I know how you you mentioned the uncertainty in the market at the moment, the current conditions, rounds of layoffs, dealing with that uncertainty, and then also the uncertainty in your roles on a day-to-day basis. And I think in terms of the last point there, in terms of the uncertainty on 
a day-to-day basis. I think it brings us nicely onto the next question. This one was posed by Trolls, and it's how do you make sure to capture the unknowns and move everything towards known? Yeah, and just to elaborate a little bit on it, um, I don't know if you know this, we'll say two by two framework with no knowns, no unknown unknowns and unknown knowns and unknown unknowns. It's a very word cleavage <laughs> play. Um, but it, 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 it sort of makes sense this that you have four areas where you can place in knowledge or certainties and truths. Um, and, and how to we'll say move them about. We, of course, want it all to be in the, the up left corner where we know the knowns. <laughs> but um, actually capturing the unknowns, whether that's a unknown known or unknown unknowns, those are the extreme difficult one, I would say. Um, um, and in making sure that we as a product manager capture that in our everyday work. Um, I would say, just to start out personally, I think something like, these unknowns are best captured by the coffee machine because it's usually somebody else who actually knows something. So this would be in people's survey is uh, quite essential um, just due to in-house knowledge. Um, but also when you're out with customers, make sure you ask what's say open questions and don't have any say completely dial down what exactly you want to get out of the customer, but also laying space for open discussions. <laughs> I wish I had um, like a fantastic silver bullet for this, uh, but honestly, it's uh, I think it's all about good old-fashioned legwork, right? Just you, you need to map out your 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 known unknown matrix and start digging, start talking to people. Um, and I think it's interesting that you mentioned the coffee machine because um, uh, I, I, I I currently work remotely for logistical reasons, and um, and I, I miss the office much more than I thought I would. Um, and I do think that there are like there are fewer unknown unknowns that make themselves known, um, and we have to make much more of an effort to sort of actively go out and seek those. We don't have that natural serendipity that that comes out of the office. Um, so, I mean, if you have any uh, concrete tips on, on on how to go about doing so, I would love them. Um, but I, th I think broader, uh, more than just uh, capturing these, I think a very important part of it is also making sure that that. Um, it's coming to terms with the fact that the unknowns they will always come up at the uh, at the worst imaginable time. Uh, so coming to terms with that fact and uh, and trying to build a team uh, and surrounding organization that's uh, that's flexible and resilient enough to uh, to adapt to those when when they do inevitably come up. I think that's uh, you know almost as important uh, as as the actual practice of uh, of making of making more knowns. I think towards you are your spot on for also for to how if we were to, to look into the question as how to capture the unknowns and, and move everything towards known, it's about that lack work. Uh, it's about walking the shoes of our users. Uh, so so personally, you know, as a minimum, we should be in contact with our users on a weekly basis. So I'm personally in contact with our users on almost on a daily basis. So every second day as an on an average probably in some kind of dialogue with them. I'm not saying I'm gonna go in there for six hours and have a chat with them. This could be 20 hours here. Sorry, 20 minutes here, 50 minutes here, uh, a chat over the coffee machine or something like that. And it's about that interaction. All of a sudden, you start to pop up the unknown unknowns, or you start to pop up something that is uh, uh, known, but you unknown. So you you don't understand why it's working like that. It's all about that black work. So currently, we are actually doing discovery work. 
that we are right now. And basically, we what we stand out with, we started with the unknown unknowns. Like we had, in the beginning, we weren't aware of it and we didn't understand it. So then we started to move into the known unknowns. Now we know it's there, but now we need to figure out what is it? Like, you know, we, this is just a, a problem statement that is popping up that we can see needs to be addressed because we learned this from the daily conversation with business stakeholders or our customers. And I think the most, um, I would say the most uh, infallible states to be in are the unknowns unknowns because then you're not aware of potential competitor coming in or something like that but it's actually also the known knowns because you can know but but the thing is that do you actually know so the perception of having a known known perception that you know something and it might not be true and unless you do the legwork that you're referring to Hagia you never actually can confirm that it would change all the time. Let me go back to the uncertainty. Something new happens tomorrow because something new executed. So all of a sudden, what you thought was known, known, all of a sudden becomes a known, unknown uh, for whatever reason. So for me, it's about that legwork, making sure that you are feeling the beat of our users, of the business, of the technology. Um, so it's really about capturing those patterns. As we do in discovery work, we just interview people. We just interview a bunch of them. In the beginning, not much context to them. It's really just about talking to them, capturing them on post-it notes. So if you do it physically, of course, you have a whiteboard. Virtually, we're using uh, Miro as an example. Just capture those post-it notes. There are no order whatsoever. But then when you start to move back and you start to reflect on all of those interviews you had, we start to create patterns, patterns on words and sentences or action they did. And all of a sudden, those unknowns, they start to become known. And then at one point in time, there will be known known. So you know what they are and you understand them, but you need to keep on the beat. Otherwise, you risk that what you thought were also something you understood start to become not the true anymore. Uh, so it's a volatile two by two matrix that you're also referring to tools, but I think you're absolutely right. Those are the four stages that you're in, um, but it's about the legwork that you refer to, Helgi, I completely agree with you. Yeah, let me say, I, I agree as well. It's It really is about, back to that, how we define uncertainty. It's about that you don't know anything and you want to know something. So I think it's it really is about probing your environment. It is about going out and talking with your customers. Who knows this stuff? It's about taking, I, uh, talking to your, your colleagues at the coffee machine, um, going out, doing the research, doing the analysis, reading reports, even uh, analyzing your competitors as well. Um, really just going all around your environment, your business environment, um, and just really understanding what's moving and and then understanding how you can use that knowledge. And then as Anna said, it's, it's about moving from one state to another state to, until you get to the known knowns where I think uh, you can rely on best practice again. Yeah, yeah and I said, I, have, I, think I agree with uh, all three of you. It, it's, I think it's a funny framework that we don't, at least from my side, I don't believe I use it often enough because um, I think it's a good way of tracking your what's a knowledge process in general. Um, and definitely something I, I would um, maybe adapt a little bit more in my work, um, how to make sure that we move this knowledge around because basically most of our product management work is communicating and knowledge, listen and communicate, listen and communicate, listen and communicate. Um, and then of course, data chain things together with all the knowledge uh, we're making. Um, so yeah, yeah definitely, definitely agree. 
I think, and, and just to give some context to, to anyone listening who might not know this framework, it's the uh, Kinevin framework, right? Yeah, I've, I've actually just Googled it to see if I could find anybody on it. Um, I think it was, what I got from it was there was a, um, a US Army guy who was talking about known knowns, um, and then somebody else took it further as well. Um, um, so I'm not sure. Exactly. It could okay. be. It could be. I've, uh, it's just, I've, I've read about it um, a few years back as well and haven't really e either taken it into my practice yet, but I think it's, it's a good, it's a good framework and it's, it's, it is called the, the Kenevin framework, which is about this uh, moving from the unknowables to unknown unknowns, known unknowns and then known knowns. Yeah, and I think yeah. the most interesting one is when we begin to combine them together with people. So I have my own, but somebody else have another one. Mm. <laughs> and then as an organization, we have what's say something we call business truth, if you can call it that. Um, I said where we have statements of we everybody believes in, right? The strategy, mm. so say the pivoting goal ball. With what is our secret sauce? That's something we all should at least believe in. But it's it's something that we portray as a known known. But for how long will they stay no known and will stay correct, right? So, yeah. But I think also there tools and you know back at you know also what is understanding because everybody can have a different understanding of something. At least I have been in so many cases as a product manager where I have thought I knew my customer, but apparently they you know language clashes or something else, um, culture clashes, whatever it might be, actually turned out I didn't understand what they were saying. Uh, I have myself been living in Korea. And I know for sure when they shake their head, it actually means sometimes yes, sometimes means no, sometimes means maybe. And you have to learn the entire body language of them. But you you think you know. So this is also where I mean, like for me, known knowns is a quite critical one. It's also quite dangerous place to be because that's where you start to feel comfortable. And as you start to feel comfortable, you are more hesitant to, or more um, uh, prone to start to lean back and just believe in your product, where sometimes you need to be on your toes because what the customer thinks or what the customer understands is not the same as you understanding, uh, if we were to take this into a product context again. Uh, so quite interesting uh, um, point you also made that towards. Yeah, as I said, I think the, the most interesting one from a product manager point of view is those unknowns, because I believe that's where we usually pivot in with a lot of value when we unclear something or process something that actually on an organization level changes the mindset. Um, and that's, you say, where the communication element <laughs> springs in. Um, how then to convey yeah. that? Yeah, I think where we usually do thrive is in those known unknowns, right? Like that's a very, very big part of our job. It's it's exploration, it's discovery, it's validating the assumptions that we've made. But yeah, I think it's a really healthy reminder to step back and and, and periodically maybe just put it in your calendar, review your known knowns, um, make, make sure you're on track. Uh, yeah, it's the, it's the first time I've ever heard of this framework, but it seems like a really good piece of, or a really good tool to assess the current situation that you're in and get, get to grips with, as you say, the known knowns and even questioning those. But I mean, it brings us nicely onto the onto the next problem which is, I understand, as most of your product managers, it's a very important topic in regard to the uncertainty. So it's how to navigate product roadmaps and satisfy stakeholders as well as customers on product expectations and deliveries. So I think I roadmaps think... are super... Uh, oh, 
I'm sorry. Uh, no, 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 no. Sorry. Just, just a quick elaboration on that one um, from from my side. Uh, for me, it's about making sure that you know we have the products. And for many years, especially established companies, have not been working with a product that mindset as we are aware of from the bigger uh, tech companies as well. It was been having this mantra of being product led since the 90s and so on. So it's about how do we start to do and navigate product roadmaps where before we had these beautiful Gantt charts, you know, waterfall charts that lasted years and years. We know exactly what came in what X date and so on. There was a deadline and all these kind of things to satisfy the stakeholders and the customers. So here I'm thinking, of course, there's business stakeholders in it. So they want to know when is what coming, uh, likely more than six months out. The same with the customers. So if I were a personal consumer here looking at my products and I was having a product on a daily basis, then would I like to know what's coming up? So if I feel that my product currently, that the application or whatever I'm using, um, you know, a car, or whatever it might be, is not living up to my standard, do I know something better is coming up soon? Or would I not need that? Uh, I think the pitfall of roadmaps is, of course, when they start uh, when they start being perceived as committed truths. Um, and I remember uh, I, I, I used to hang up my my roadmaps uh, physically on paper on the wall in the office, and, and and next to them I would put in very big letters: uh, "These are estimates, not promises." Um, I think that's extremely important to remind people, and that the uh, yeah, uh, just generally to remind people that the map is not the territory. This is our current understanding of where we want to go. And we're honestly quite certain that that is not how it will ultimately play out. I think a challenge uh, that I have, at least in, in, in B2B, is that commercial realities sometimes do dictate that you actually plan out a Gantt chart like that. And it, it pains my soul to, to, to do so, but, but that is unfortunately a, a commercial reality when you have uh, contracts and you have things that are, are directly sold and expected to be delivered by a certain date because maybe the client has their own, uh, has their own feature coming out that needs to be integrated. Um, so walking that line between meeting the commercial realities of clients who have been sold something, and then of retaining the freedom to actually figure out what the best thing to do uh, is as we go. That's a very, very fine line. Only echo that, uh, Helgen. I think actually one of the topics that you also addressed there is actually that stakeholders and customers, they can start to form the roadmap as well, which preferably, of course, it should be the problem statements that, that start to shape a roadmap. It should not be, hey, I need X feature, I need X API in order to whatever it might be. Um, so I think this is where it really becomes tricky as well, especially also in bigger corporations. So I'm also focusing on internal internal products used within the com company itself. And here you also start to see the fact that uh, uh, they would need dates because they're saying, oh, we cannot do this and that because we need to know exactly what is coming up next. And all of a sudden you start to see when you're doing your OKR session, OKR planning, that actually some of the key results, they've been predefined before you know the objective. Um, so that is creating some clashes for me. So I think this is some of the questions or or topics that I'm also curious to hear your thoughts about. Yeah, I think um, I think the, the most difficult one, at least from, from my side, it, and, and still is it's working with this, as soon as you, I think, you also provided that with this, that roadmaps becomes the known um, in the organization. 
Um, and, and that's where we have to keep updating people with the new knowns or how that say filters and changes, which is extremely just just difficult. There's no I don't I think there's no shortcut in that kind of communication. It's just difficult. Um, and and it it's just again back to the legwork. I think it's just being talking with all your stakeholders as much as possible and keep updating them. Um, it was a from from my point of view the the difficult in in changing things is that it for example our customers is not necessarily as easily accessible um and sometimes it's not the ones that takes the decisions that's actually using our products <laughs> which is two two ways um and and i think that's where in the the consumer world i i, I see Companies rather lucky that they can they can usually pivot out to people, grab people by the street, basically ask them of their opinion, and that will be a valuable actually insight. Um, but in other contexts, it it becomes much more strong structured uh, when a company or government has to put down something that they say we would like something like this. Then it becomes a requirement, let's say sheet. <laughs> of things that it needs to fulfill um, and that's almost defining a product where it's then difficult to change when you was it run along with development or make changes along the way um, so so Helgi actually just a question to you uh, building a bit on what Holmes just said as well because I'm a bit curious um, uh, from your perspective I'm also again I'm working mostly on internal face products in the b2b context but you're also working with b2b clients themselves and when they start to work with these features and then if let's say are you sharing the roadmap with them so sharing with them and saying hey but this is just estimates or do you keep that for yourself so personally we are sharing we have an open roadmap that's linked directly into our backlog but we have a bit big fat disclaimer saying this is preliminary and I can tell you this required legworks, iterations, ongoing disappointments, people yelling almost at you because hey it was on paper it was there and then you just have to point them to the disclaimer and saying hey this is still a roadmap this is live just like a, any other products you, you never know but how is it that in the B2B context when you're sitting there with, with other customers you know the other companies that might be dependent on an API or something like that it depends a lot on the customer and ideally i wouldn't be sharing uh, 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 i wouldn't be sharing a public uh, roadmap of every little thing um, that goes out because as you say those disclaimers are very easy to miss and uh, very often you will be expected to keep um, the deadlines that someone may have perceived that you promised um, and of course it depends on the customer as well uh, when we're talking b2b there's a large range of customers there's the uh, smaller customers where we try to build uh, one product that suits as many customers as well as possible um, and then you have your enterprise customers and those are the ones typically where you deliver bespoke services bespoke integrations and other things where they also need to take action on their end and need to schedule accordingly so that's where you to a much larger degree need to accept uh, many of those business realities that that uh, when you set a date it's much harder to move away from that date um, now we try if 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 something comes comes up and we truly believe that adjusting that plan is the best thing to do we will engage with the customer and uh, try to come up with a solution together um, but yeah that, that very much depends on the on the type uh, of customer and, and how engaged they are with your product 
and maybe just to build on that, just to relate to those formats, I think they, you actually just sparked a thought of me saying also that, again, it depends on whatever you are shipping, uh, because something that you ship could dramatically impact and have a halo effect on different systems, either being a client or maybe even within your own company, or maybe even within your own product. So you have to be in synchronized sync with both your own technical team, your customers, your business stakeholders to make sure that, hey, I launched this, then this is going to happen and you have to prepare for that. You have to take X, Y, and Z uh, meshes in order to make sure that you can actually utilize this new feature we did out or adjustments we did. Um, so uh, echo what you're saying. Sometimes it's just a hard deadline that you want to perceive, but often, at least for me, I try to not put a specific date on it, but just like a frame saying, well, it's going to be within this quarter. And then when it starts to get closer to it, it starts to be, and again, as uncertainty, start to get more comfortable. Um, and you're more and more certain on a certain time frame. you're saying, yeah, it's going to be within a couple of weeks. But fully echo what you're saying, that sometimes the situation is just there that you you basically have to almost go back to a Gantt chart and saying, well, this is going to drive X and this is going to drive Y and then so on and so on. It's going to be ready on the 2nd of December. And boom. Yeah. Uh, uh, and as much as we hate working with Gantt charts, we also do need to acknowledge that there are many organizations who do indeed uh, live by the Gantt chart. Um, and we need to uh, and we need to respect that too. And uh, if we deviate too much from ours, that can have dire consequences for, for customers and partners. Yeah. I would say we also are heavy users of Gantt charts. Um, but it's also to do, they have a lot of things technically that needs to align. For example, we do have to do mil spec um, on our physical products, and they uh, that that takes time. Um, it's something to do with corrosion, UV, radiation tests, and so on, um, which is something that has to be put in plan and executed. And it, it leaves a certain time slot. <laughs> it's usually not a week, it's usually a couple of months. Sometimes, um, so yeah, maybe it's um, it's a treacherous job. <laughs> There's roadmaps and stakeholders. Um, yes, certainly. I hosted a podcast just a couple of weeks back. It was titled "The Main Product, The Main Challenges Facing a Product Manager," and this was something that they all come to a unison on as well. Come to an agreement that planning roadmaps on uncertainties is such a difficult task, and I think it's very maybe. much an imminent. Sorry. No, I just wanted to say sorry, kind of for interrupting. Maybe I just wanted to say something here because I think if you, if that was also main of the main problems, I was just like starting to think about it and how to communicate. And I think here going into the North Star metric is probably some of the things that I personally go with, because if we're just making sure that we are on the same path that the ship, the product, is in this direction, this is the vision where we go for. Often, what I feel is actually that uncertainty. Those problem statements are often more accepted. Again, going back to Ilya, of course, large enterprises or what you said, towards there are just sometimes a physical aspect to you need to take into account that hinders that. But often if you have that North Star ready and in hand and everybody is aligned, is transparent and has focus on the customer problem, we start to see that also that actually naturally becomes a roadmap, but just without dates. I would say without being religious, amen to a strong strategy and also to say North Star guiding, it's a, a vision. It's, it's hugely important to have alignment and agreement. Um, that makes it a lot easier. 
And a very large part of having such a North Star metric, which which can be extremely useful, um, is to also stand behind it and do and do and provide the mandates to prioritize that North Star metric over other things that may come up along the way. Um, if you have the North Star metric, but you still want to, you know. You, you, you want to build this thing that somebody asked for and uh, like you want to optimize this process and you also need to do A and B and C, um, then the North Star metric doesn't really matter uh, in anything but name. So I think uh, I, I, I just wanted to really use, you know, agree to what you said there. I think the best um, example that I've been given, I don't know if this is a true story or not, but one point of time, um, there was this guy going into a cap together with an Apple executive, and then was showing off this, you know, the the basically MP3 player soon from from Microsoft, showing that to the Apple executive, saying this is so much better than your iPad or your sorry your iPod, so much better, it's got all new features, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And what the Apple executive did was then saying, oh, all right, great for them, and then just carried on looking into to the work. Whereas if the same person did that with the Microsoft executive, showed the iPod, then immediately the Microsoft executive will be all over that iPod and just like, wait, what's, how's it work? And try to, to backwards engineering it. So they were more focused on what you just referred to there, Helke, which was like, oh, let's build this, let's do that, because it, it, it's that and it's improving this value over here and so on. Whereas Apple, they just had to focus on the North Star saying, we don't care what the competitors do, of course, take into consideration, but we focus on our North Star. We focus on that vision that we we drive towards. I, I totally agree. I think it's a there's also a double edge, right? Uh, you could also point at Nikita and Nokia and say that's also what they were focusing yes. on, the North Star being button cell phones, <laughs> um, and they stay true to it almost to the very end. <laughs> um, and yeah, so it it needs if you have an North Star, you need to make sure you're constantly evaluating it, right, and making sure you're you're on track. <laughs> based on your user research. Back um, to the known knowns or the unknown yeah. unknowns. You know, how sure are you of that North Star metric still holding true two, five years later? Yes, exactly. Definitely some interesting takes, especially in terms of business direction, especially as you say, Nokia, very similar case with Kodak. But I think when we're talking uncertainties as well, there's a very pressing issue at the moment that Hal just raised. So I'm quite interested to hear your takes on this. How do you rally your team towards the future after a round of layoffs? <laughs> Uh, I think to elaborate the question, um, this is, of course, something that is relevant for many, many companies um, of all sizes, um, whether they have thousands, tens of thousands of people or or, or, fewer, or fewer than 100. Um, it's something that, that does affect a lot of us. And, um, of course, a round of layoffs is no matter what kind of company you are, that's a very traumatic event. Um, and it's easy to see it as such. But one thing to keep in mind, of course, is that the ultimate goal of such an event is to come out the other side stronger uh, and as a more healthy entity. Um, so, uh, uh, I think it's really useful to discuss how, like, what are concrete steps you can you can do you can do and take to make sure that happens. I think if I were to to tip in here, I think for me it's also very much about how the layoff occurred. Uh, mm -hmm. So what incidents lies behind it. Um, so you know I can uh, personally say that at that my experience so far with the layoffs has been that the more the company tries to actually help you on that journey because as you said Helgir, it's not about the layoffs it's about what's next how do you get back on the feet get moving again just as much for the company but also for the person that got laid off because that laid off person was a friend a co-worker a valuable asset 
So it's all about what stand does a company take when you lay something off? Is this just like shutting door behind you and there you go out of the door? Um, maybe using now tools that you're working within the uh, the, the the defense area. We're using um, uh, for your for your company. It's also about you know I'm not, almost looking like this from a, a military perspective. You are a small squad. You are supposed to have each other's back. And if it turns out that the squad that you're in just like slams the door behind you without even looking back. That message is that it's all sending a message to the squad that is, that is still in the building, that is still within the squad. So for me, it's very important to ensure that your team is being rallied about is also impacting how you want to send off that employee. Do you want to help them on the next journey? You know, start to reach out, give good recommendation for it, or do you just slam the door? Because I think that's also going to impact the um, Custom satisfaction, sorry, the the employee satisfaction. I'm just imagining Twitter right now with Elon Musk coming in, firing half of the staff. You know, I think the motivation in that product team or in that company as whole is starting to really slow down. Yeah, I think that's a really important aspect. So not just the the tactical considerations you make about who's let go and who's left behind and 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 how you how you deploy that, but but yeah, just the actual process um, and th there's there's many reasons you know to to do that uh, to do that well and make sure that those who are who are leaving are being treated well um, I mean the the first and most important reason of course is it's it's the right thing to do um, I think uh, the, the the second reason is that as as colleagues you know we spend a lot of time together we become very close uh, and if at any point in time we see our friends being treated badly then uh, 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 and we risk uh, building resentment towards those who have done so. So, so that's also extremely important just to to maintain that that morale. Um, and then a very practical consideration as well, I think for for those remaining, um, you need to feel secure that worst case, if this if if something similar were to happen to you, you would also be treated well. You would be given every opportunity to land on your feet. And if you don't feel that security. Then you're much more likely to start looking for greener pastures. Yeah, definitely. I think if if you have to think about your team has been laid off and you have to rally them back to 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 a place where you can uh, move forward, uh, I think it's it's a good thing to take a step back and look at things holistically. How were you doing things, and then get your team to think about a new, maybe a new product strategy and get them to to work together on, on that, maybe a new structure in, in things, how you develop. Um, because I think most product teams right now, they are just, they're hired into an organization, into a hierarchy and they do their part. Um, but if you are post with a, a, a round of layoff, I think it's a, it's an opportunity to do things in a new way and and go in a new direction also and and I think that can can put your team together. Um, I think that's a pretty important point because you can't of course just uh, reduce headcount and expect things to to continue as usual. Whether that be by you know by 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 building the same things in the same way only a little bit slower. There there has been a seismic shift um, in the composition of your of your organization and you need to take that into account uh, and make sure that the uh, I think that make sure that the actual um, layoff is tied to a clear strategic shift. Uh, demonstrate that this is something that has to be done for a very clear reason. Um, and that reason is now the foundation for for what we do moving forward. Well, it's just about to, I was just about to say, Helgi, I think also it, it really comes down to 
why were they laid off? Again, if I were to, to look at myself, if I were having colleagues that were laid off due to a financial reason, like the business is going really well, this is, this is like the last cramp to try to save the company or try to save actually the rest of us. I would have great understanding for why they were laid off. So again, this is coming back to why was it, did you just slam the door? Was there actually a strategic reason behind that choice? And of course, then rescope. Um, I'm more, again, imagine like it's a big ship, you have to move around, you have to find a new captain, you have to find a new steering person, a new person looking out for, for icebergs and in, in the way and so on, new engineers uh, sitting in the engine room, etc. You need to sh shift around if some of them, they, they become obsolete or if they become fired for whatever reason. But it's important for why were they, I think, also impacting the, the, the motivation and the satisfaction of a team. I think at least, I hope at least, most people can recognize that if a company is in the say financial uh, distress, that a layoff could be needed. And those remaining, they almost are just you know grateful that it was not them. And we'll do whatever it takes to actually rally behind the company to make sure that it's not them next time. And they will try to save what is left and make sure that the ship is not sinking. I hope no. at least that's the true. Yeah, and no, it's also very depending on whether they actually, because if you're getting to the point where you actually have to do like a mass layoff or layoff a significant amount of your employees, then 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 you should also make sure that you was a layoff uh, leaders. <laughs> I mean, it it needs to be in a in a well we'll slice the cake. Everybody is getting some level of chop, right? Um, so that not this was a white tower, Ilfen tower <laughs> approach to it. Um, and and it needs to follow up with, with a direct strategic change. Um, we want to be doing this so that we make sure we don't end here again. Um, because it is emotionally tough um, saying goodbye to people or being the one that gets the boot. <laughs> Um, and, I, and I would say to 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 that uh, towards I think being in the Leo group, I think my only advice there is to make sure they still have fun afterwards, be playful, uh, continue playing within the teams even though it's tough. Uh, yeah. Because I think without that, then you really start to lose that motiv motivation and you become sad, and it becomes like an evil spiral. So also as leaders, you need to make sure that the the team is having fun. It's not all about work all the time. You you have to have fun. You have to be playful. You have to be curious. You have to be brave. And then focus on the changes that are needed to make sure that your ships, uh, your ship is still alive and and, and floating. And you probably also it is of course also individual up to what attitude they have towards it and their level of self confidence, um, and also into regard for why they got fired. Um, for some people, it's it's not a big deal being fired. Then it's just ah, okay, I'll go and find another job. <laughs> and for others, it's a very deeply connected to who they are as a person, what job they're actually doing. And it's, it's a, we fire you, right? <laughs> it's not mm. something to do with your role. It's actually you that we want to give the boot. <laughs> um, that is, I say, two very different things. Um, um, and also how the other people might, say, view um, the, the, um, their own position afterwards as well. Those that are left in the company as well. Yeah, echo that. But it can also be good because if you have a a, a bunch of uh, incarnated people, then then they can also be a let's say a not a pain in the ass, but they can be a a what do you call that a chain around your leg, right? 
uh, something you have to pull along with all old uh, known knowns that are not <laughs> correct anymore. Um, and I think it's actually bad if you stay in one company for too many years. Um, I think I heard something like Nokia, they paid a year salary if you, you quit after 10 years. And they were saying, hey, you get a significant amount of money if you're quitting. <laughs> I think also that goes back to uh, uh, a bit what Helge said. It's about the strategic choice behind it. So, of course, if this is a person draining down the team or is a negative impact to, to the team or the, the company itself, of course, then the layoff can have also a positive effect. It's not only about being a negative uh, circumstance. It can have a positive impact on the team actually rallying up behind the leader that dares to stand up to an employee that might be challenging or, you know, uh, disrespectful or whatever it might be of reasonings. So in that case, you could also start to be a, a firmer uh, believer in your brand, in your company, in the in the vision that you're setting out, and actually saying, "Hey, this company actually means the values it stands behind." It's 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 actually laying off people that don't believe in that same storyline. Again, this is also where again we could take in the uh, world championship in in, uh, in in football into account with Qatar. You know how are the companies there treating the uh, the perception of human rights in Qatar, for example? There again. If you have companies or employees that are firm believer of uh, the rights or the lacking of those uh, in in Qatar, maybe there are strategic reasons for why such comp such employees are no longer perceived as necessary or uh, fitting within the company strategy simply just because they are uh, outliers uh, deviating towards the, the the north star that your company has towards the brand or the product they're trying to sell yeah just on a very human level the values and how we actually interact with each other right because it, regarding also pro productivity a a one bad sheep can hurt a lot of people's productivity um so so or even willingness to go to work whether that's a leader or whether that's a a a, a say part of the group that you're working in um, it, it it needs to be a, a team effort in, in some format where you're feeling joined and you have a strong, say, um, at least have a consensus that you're in this together and trying to help each other out. Um, teamwork uh, spirit. So to say. Yep, some great contributions, sir. And at this stage, I'd like to put it to the to the floor. If there's any further questions or anything that anybody else would like to ask. On that note, I uh, thank you all for some amazing contributions. If you'd like to join us on a future podcast, please approach me on LinkedIn or email me at connor.leyland at evolution-nordics.com. I'll see you all soon.